Hey, this is Jen Johans at FilmIntuition.com or FilmIntuition on social media and Letterboxd. And this is Watch With Jen and Friends. If Watch With Jen is the studio track, this is the acoustic version. Today's guest is William Boyle, the critically acclaimed author of the novels Gravesend, The Lonely Witness, A Friend is a Gift You Give Yourself, and The New City of Margins, as well as a short story collection, Death Don't Have No Mercy. Boyle recently guest-edited the eighth quarterly volume of By NWR, entitled Dark Brink of Love. It's described as a dispatch from the broken open world of noir and is now available on Nicholas Winding Refn's website that is linked to in this post. Boyle's books have been nominated for the New Blood Dagger Award in the UK and the Hammett Prize in the United States. A Brooklyn, New York native, William currently lives in Oxford, Mississippi. He's a knowledgeable film lover with excellent taste and an avowed Tori Amos fan. I am so pleased to welcome him to Watch with Jen. So how have you been doing and how have you been adapting to the ongoing craziness that is 2020? Um, I've been okay, thanks. Uh, just, you know, like everybody else, I think. Just mm-hmm. hard to hard to wrap wrap my head around a lot of stuff these days yeah. so just getting lost in work and writing you know movies and music and the stuff that I normally try to get lost in yeah exactly uh, that's how about, how about you pretty much the same yeah just trying to keep busy on writing and you know using film both as an escape and also just for work and yeah. Yeah, music, the same thing. Exactly. Well, I've been enjoying some of the articles you've shared of your streaming recommendations. I know I'm always going to find some hidden treasure there because you have excellent taste. So are you still writing that column and or what have you been working on lately? I am writing it. Yeah, it's been fun because I just um, I don't really write about film a lot or get to write about film a lot. Um, Just kind of, you know, I try to keep track of stuff on Letterboxd and and that sort of thing. But my friend um, Bobby Ray is the editor of Southwest Review, and he asked me to to do this, and so it wound up being kind of a fun outlet for me to get a chance to just sit down and write about movies once a month. And um, so yeah, I, I've been doing that since I don't know June or something, and I'll probably keep doing it. I think I'll probably do it for at least the rest of like a year you know, okay. and see, see where it's at after that. Um, or if he wants me to keep doing it or, or what. Um, but yeah, it's been, it's been fun and it's fun kind of hunting for some stuff that might not be getting coverage or turning yeah. up things I haven't watched in a long time. So that's been fun. Other than that, I've been uh, working on, um, a novel, so a new novel and, um, pretty Very close, cool pretty close to finishing a draft of it so we'll see oh i'm excited looking forward to hearing more about that thanks so what have you been watching recently is there anything you'd like to recommend uh what have i been watching i've been watching i've been watching just a ton of stuff um yeah i've been (laughs) all over the place um normally my numbers are pretty high in a given year like yeah i watch a lot of movies under normal circumstances and this year it's just like doubled so I, i've mm-hmm. just been really all over the place um 
you know, we'll, we're going to talk about some of those movies today, um, mm-hmm. Mickey, Mickey Rourke stuff. And then um, I've been rewatching Twin Peaks The Return. I've been um, watching, um, I've watched, well, this is kind of a crossover, but I've watched a bunch of Michael, rewatched a bunch of Michael Cimino movies, um, including cool. Heaven's Gate just a couple of nights ago, which Mickey Rourke is briefly in. Mm-hmm. And then, um, I don't know. I mean, it's so crazy that I, I feel like I've been watching stuff nonstop and I'm kind of drawing a little bit of a blank, but a lot of nineties, you know, I love the kind of nineties indie crime stuff. So I've been kind of digging around. Yeah, me too. Rediscovering some of that stuff. Cause I mean, one thing, you know, I know uh, it's not really great to sing the praises of Amazon prime, but one cool thing about prime is a lot of weird stuff pops up on there. Yeah. Um, and I'm always amazed, like some of the that '90s stuff that you can't find anywhere. You can't find on YouTube. You can't find any anywhere. It'll pop up on Prime for a little while. It's just great. So I've been hunting for for that kind of stuff. Um, I rewatched Pump Up the Volume uh, recently, which popped up on Prime. I don't think it's. I think it's like a bootleg of it or something. Okay. <laughs> uh, it's it's up there, and uh, it's not super available. You know, you can't really find it anywhere anymore. And I know. I which is crazy. Um, I, I watched that movie like 10,000 times when I was a kid and I haven't watched it in a year and, you know, probably 15 years or 10 years or something. So I rewatched that and that was great. So. Very cool. You mentioned yeah. Michael Cimino. Did you yeah. pick up the 4k deer hunter? I it's did. gorgeous, yeah. it gorgeous is, yeah. edition. Yeah, I did. I got that. Yeah. It actually started with, um, Weirdly enough, well, Mickey Rourke's in, I guess, three of his movies, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it started, weirdly enough, with um, Desperate Hours, which is not one of his best and not no. one of Mickey Rourke's <laughs> best. But um, I you know, hadn't seen that in a long time. And and I remember liking it a lot as a kid. And this time, I was very mixed on it. I mean, I don't really mm-hmm. get you know disappointed in something unless i think it could be great and i think that movie could have been really great Um, i agree yes i think it could have been excellent i actually watched it for the first time over the summer too i think i found it on prime and just went for it yeah yeah it's a weird one i mean it's i I don't know the story behind it but i mean i'm sure it was kind of cut up a little bit because it feels like it's trying to do a ton of things that it doesn't really Mm-hmm. do but it's it's an interesting movie it's an interesting um yeah ca- i mean the cast is great uh, i know it's such a good a, cast that's that's the other thing that's i mean that's one of the reasons why i feel felt really disappointed with it this time because i was like this is just an unbelievable cast and it looks really beautiful a lot of the time and it's just mm-hmm. kind of a letdown Yes. Well, when we discussed doing another episode Impossible Topics to focus on, I was so excited when you suggested Mickey Rourke because he is such a tremendous actor. And the films you chose weren't obvious ones. You thought of titles that I either had not seen or it's been decades since I first saw them or last watched them, I should say. So what is it about Mickey Rourke that you find so compelling? You know, I don't. I don't know that I, I can put it into words in the mm-hmm. best possible way, but you know, he was one of those actors that was certainly very present when I was growing up and getting into movies seriously. 
Um, so, you know, it's just, just by chance, you know, I think finding movies like, uh, like Johnny Handsome when I was 12 or, you know, 13 or mm-hmm. whatever, that was, um, you know, I liked him just for being in those movies. I don't know if I understood then what I've come to love about him though. Um, mm-hmm. which is, you know, watching his movies now, um, I'm in my early 40s, and it's been it's been a long time since I'd seen some of these. Some of them I've revisited a lot, but um, there's this great tenderness to him that yes. it just blows me away. And he's so different from so many other actors from the 80s. I mean, it's just um, I don't know. There's there's something about him that's really tender and tragic, and he's got he's got this kind of you know. I mean, I know people have always talked about the kind of Brando quality he has in some of those early '80s movies and mid '80s movies, but it's it's it is similar to that. It is something something really Brando-ish about him, but um, more than just on an acting level, I think it's that kind of tenderness, that unpredictability, that vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Um, and rewatching them this time, I mean, that's what I've been kind of viewing everything through the lens of of him and and just how he carries himself and it's it's really struck me in a new way because i've rewatched like maybe 16 movies with him in the last three or four weeks um Mm -hmm. and he's just uh you know i'd never done that i mean i always liked him and always had movies of his that i loved very much Mm -hmm. like barfly and rumblefish but an angel heart but um i never sat down and was just like i'm gonna watch everything back to back to back to back and it's just really opening up uh, just who he is as an actor and a new way to me, I think. I agree. I didn't watch 16, but I've watched several, including the ones you mentioned. And then some of the other ones that you brought up as just, oh, I also like these performances yeah. or these films. And I think there's a pathos, vulnerability, and a humanity to him that is just unlike so many of the alphas from the 80s yeah. that were just too cool. He's not the Tom Cruise or yeah. something like that. And I remember when he was on, I think it was Inside the Actor's Studio. That's when he first found out. But I guess when he auditioned for the studio in the 70s, Elia Kazan told whoever, I can't remember the name, that that was the best audition he had wow. seen in 50 years. And Rourke did not know about this until years later when he was finally on Inside the Actor's Studio. And I was, yeah, that was really, yeah, really cool. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't know that. Yeah, I mean, there's just this, like, I don't know, like you said, I mean, in this sea of kind of hyper macho stars in the 80s um he's even when he plays those roles and he does kind of have a few of these roles like you're the dragon and angel heart kind of tread into that territory with the character but he turns it into something else and it's amazing and i don't really know how he does it except through his face and through how he carries himself you know it's because the the dialogue he's not changing that stuff um so it's yeah it's really amazing to 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 think about yeah, exactly. The first film that you recommended was one I'd always wanted to see, but somehow never had, which is Francis Ford Coppola's Rumblefish, which is easily one of my new favorite discoveries I've made in a while. Mickey's mythic in this one. He's like the famous Beat Generation-esque style philosopher, punk, older brother of Matt Dillon. 
and I know it's a really intensely personal movie for Coppola. He dedicated it, yeah, for his own brother, made it right after The Outsiders. And I know you said that you watch the film like every year or so. So what is it about Rumblefish that you respond to most? Well, number one, I think I just think it's one of the most gorgeous movies I've ever seen. Just the, Absolutely. the, the look of it is as good as anything. I, I've ever seen it. Yeah, I mean, it's just beautiful. Um, there are so many things. I mean, you know, today we'll be talking about Mickey Rourke, and he is one of the things I love about it. But uh, obviously, there there are many other things. I'm a big, mm-hmm. I'm a big Coppola fan in general, but I'm a big Coppola in the '80s fan, um, which is, you know, I think a lot of that stuff gets overshadowed. Obviously. Everything he did in this, you know, everything he did in the '70s is total genius. But um, I would argue that everything he did in the '80s is into the early '90s is genius too. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I like I like all that stuff a lot. Um, this one from the heart. Um, Peggy Sue got married. Tucker. You know, there's just so much great stuff. Uh, and, and Dracula. I mean, you know, I don't really dislike anything of Coppola's until Jack, Jack which I haven't seen. In yeah. Denver, but, um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm fascinated with that whole period in his career. I'm fascinated with the, the way he was shooting movies and this one and on one from the heart, especially. I just love this, the stylistic stuff he's doing. And, um, and yeah, just the the cinematography. It's just gorgeous. And I think I probably came to this movie first um, as I was, I don't know. I mean, I think it was maybe Tom Waits that made me want to watch this movie originally, weirdly enough, because he's just a small, small part in it. But I think I saw it when I was just getting into Tom Waits for the first time when I was like maybe 18. Mm-hmm. And um, I, you know, I obviously at that point I'd seen the Godfathers and the conversation and, and apocalypse now, but uh, I slept on most of that Coppola in the eighties stuff. Um, and so, yeah, I think maybe Tom Waits was what initially drew me in. And then I, once I saw the cast, it was like everybody I love, Matt Dillon, Mickey mm-hmm. Rourke, Diane Lane, yeah. Nicolas Cage, Lawrence Fishburne. I mean, it's an insane, wonderful, insane cast. Um, so, yeah, that was my introduction to it. And then, um, yeah, I watched it a bunch of times over the years. And since... Um, since the Criterion Blu-ray, I've watched it just a, even a lot more, um, just because it looks even better, and I'm just I'm kind of obsessed with the, the look of it and the feel of it. Yeah, the high contrast black and white photography is gorgeous. I know it, really it was is. partly inspired by like German expressionism. Yeah, I heard he showed everyone the cabinet of dr caligari yeah Yeah, before shooting it yeah and it's interesting because the film itself has like nothing in common except the feel it's a dreamlike feel though yeah to it yeah Yeah, and super it's not it's you know it's totally unafraid of going to to really (laughs) surreal places and i mean that that's something that definitely appealed to me early on i mean i always you know, I like the outsiders fine, but obviously, I mean, I think this was 
that he did this kind of like one for them, one for me deal with these two movies where he I made agree. the outsiders in a kind yeah. of typical Hollywood way. And then he did whatever the hell he wanted here and just had mm-hmm. wild fun with it. And I mean, that, that you could just feel that in the movie. Very true. And I was glad to hear that you enjoyed One from the Heart because I think it's totally underrated. I think it's gorgeous. Oh, I love it. And yeah, I think it's a towering achievement from him. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's some flaws and, you know, some of it doesn't make sense or whatever, but it's so beautiful. It and is. it's a film that evokes a really strong feeling. And I really enjoyed watching yeah. that and also the new cut of the cotton club uh, have, yeah have you watched that one i have it's great i, I like yeah. it. i'm i'm in the minority probably and that i liked the original okay i mean i don't think it's one of his best movies but i liked it and uh, mm-hmm. now it's just even better and looks gorgeous yes. and i'm a big um, william kennedy fan uh, the novelist who um wrote the script or uh, I can't remember yeah. if he co-wrote the script or wrote the script, but so I, I just for that reason alone, I'm, I was always drawn to it. Um, and I, yeah, I, it looks amazing now. Yes. I mean, how could they have left stormy weather on the cutting room floor? Like I have it's no crazy. idea. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, especially <laughs> with someone like him, who you would think at that point was just like, could call the shots and whatever mm-hmm. he wanted to do post that 70s run but i guess not you know i mean yeah um, i do hope that one day soon i think I, I believe that one day soon one from the heart will get a really nice restoration blu-ray release and people will really be blown away by it because um, it'll it'll look even better i think once they once they do that yeah exactly well the next film i watched is homeboy which is one that I know Rourke wrote under a pseudonym, focuses on boxing, which was his first love, of course. And while normally I'm a big sucker for a good boxing movie as a metaphor for life, I didn't like this one as much as I did the performances in it, especially Christopher Walken, who was really outstanding. But I know you're a big fan of this movie, so please tell everyone about Homeboy because you wrote (laughs) a terrific review of it on Letterboxd that I really loved reading. Oh, thanks. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think this movie's for everybody. And I don't know, you know, I mean, I'm not a film critic, so I can I can, uh, I can, can be loose with my, my five-star reviews on Letterboxd. Do I think this movie is as good as, uh, you know, Rumblefish or The Conversation or whatever, you know, whatever other five-star <laughs> movies I've got up there? Uh, probably not, but, I mean, in the moment, it really... I was just so enthusiastic about it and um, I hadn't seen it in a long time. It was a movie I remember seeing on the shelves in the video store a lot as a kid and renting and liking. Um, But I really didn't remember it a whole lot until I watched it recently. And um, it's a sad, depressing movie and it's definitely driven by Rourke's performance, which I think is just, one of his best so i mean mm-hmm. and i would agree with you i mean i think the main reason to come to this movie is for those two performances i mean yes. there's not there's not a, a necessarily a ton of stuff happening beyond those two things but um well i mean i like i like the the sad springsteen setting you know but yeah it's a springsteen <laughs> song brought to life basically yeah <laughs> Yeah, and I guess exactly. it was originally supposed to be in Florida, um, which is where work is. From. I didn't know any of this until um, 
I think our mutual friend on Facebook, uh, Steve DeGeronet, the yes. director of Miracle Mile, he was the director. On, he, t- he said in his, he responded to my post and said he was the original director on it and, um, and kind of filled in this, all this background that it was based on this fighter that Rourke grew up loving and, or knowing. And, and um, there was a lot of different, a lot of differences about where it was going to be set and, and um, who the characters were going to be, but however it got to this place, it got to this place. And I, you know, I think it's, I think the script is good, is, is really solid. Uh, and I think his performance is amazing. And I think Walken, the, you know, Walken's got two or three, three, like just genius moments. Um, mm-hmm. Like King of New York style, Christopher Walken stuff. And, uh, <laughs> It's really, it's, it, those moments are really fun. And there are moments that are really just that, what I was talking about before, that kind of tenderness um, mm-hmm. really comes through in, in Rourke's performance. Like this is not some vanity project where he's going to make himself look like a hero no. and a superstar. You know, I mean, this is like a a sad bastard boxing movie. You know, it's, it's. It um, is fat city realm kind of and uh you know i love that so i love that about it i mean obviously i I like that it's not you know i'm a huge fan of the rocky movies but he's not like doing rocky four here he's doing (laughs) that city um so yeah it's a i mean i think it's a compelling watch it's it's a little bit messy in parts for sure Mm -hmm. um but i think i mean i would recommend it if for no other reason just just to see him at you know, I think it's one of his five or six best performances for sure. It's definitely one of his most personal. And I feel it would play very well, like in a double feature with The Wrestler. Yeah. Especially because they're both kind of saying similar things about what, in a weird way, it also could be acting what you put your body through sometimes yeah. or yourself through. And it's very personal because even the woman he was married to at the time plays his love interest in the film. And it almost foreshadows what was going to happen in the nineties when he walked away from acting because he was having issues with it and went to become a boxer for a while and destroyed himself essentially like almost, yeah, almost unrecognizably and had a lot of serious injuries. I'm glad he was okay. And like he came out the other side, but yeah, 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 it does. it would. Yeah. I'd, be, I'd be interested in watching it back to back with the wrestler, which is almost, in some way, a remake of this movie. <laughs> I mean, it's it's very close to to Homeboy. I mean, except obviously it's wrestling instead of boxing, yeah. but it's also got a Jersey setting. It literally gets a Springsteen song, and this movie feels yeah. like a Springsteen song. So there are lots of, um, yeah, lots of kind of lots of crossover between the two movies. And I mean, I think there's there's one moment in this movie. Um, that kind of lifted it to another level for me where he takes the like the, the Brando line, um, you know, could have been a contender yes. and turns it into, do you think I could have been any saddest mm-hmm. moments that I've ever seen and really kind of just feels like everything I like about him as an actor is summed up in that in that scene. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Year of the Dragon is a very ambitious movie, co-written by Oliver Stone, and boy, are his fingerprints, like, all over that one. (laughs) Yeah. 
So what are your thoughts on this film, which features a very different performance for Mickey Rourke? It was a very, it seemed almost more mature than yeah. his age at the time. I think, was he playing older or else he just, he seemed like he'd been through the wars, basically. Yeah, I think so. I don't know how old he was when he made this movie. Um but yeah, it's right. It's it's fairly early because it's pre Angel Heart and yeah. Boy and um, I yeah. So I hadn't seen this in a long time. I, I saw it as a kid, um, and yeah, probably been twenty five years or twenty years since I last watched it. And um, I, and like I said, I've been watching a handful of Michael Cimino movies, so it was interesting in that light to watch it. Um, you know, alongside Deer Hunter and and Heaven's Gate, because um, this would have been his. I mean, this would have been. I think if, if I'm, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure it was his follow up to Heaven's Gate, which was a colossal failure. Um, mm-hmm. I love that movie, but I mean, it was a huge disaster in every respect. I think. Um, so this, uh, you know, this is the the thing he follows that up with, and I think. Uh, I don't know the whole story to the reception, but I think this was a fairly complicated production mm-hmm. and reception too. I think, I mean, I don't know how you watched it, but I got the Warner Archive Blu-ray and it looks gorgeous. I mean, it just looks amazing, which I think a lot of what I was swept up with here watching at this time was just the look of the movie. Um, yeah. Really bright, gorgeous colors. I mean, it looks... Um, it looks some of the some of the New York City stuff is as good as I've ever seen New York City look on film, like '80s New York City look on film. So um, that was definitely something I was really taken with. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, I thought his performance. I mean, he's not a. This is not his character in some of these other movies. I, I don't. You know, no. this is not a character that you are drawn to in the same way as you're drawn Mm -hmm. to some of his other characters. So, I mean, I think it's a great performance. It doesn't stand out to me as, as one of his, I mean, I think a lot of people might put this depending on how they feel about the film at the top. Um, I probably wouldn't, but um, it's, it's an interesting performance, I think. And, you know, it's, it's an ambitious performance. And, And I think ambitious, like you said, is a good word for the movie overall, even if it's not entirely, successful or is also kind of complicated and messy yeah exactly it was kind of funny because i saw this like not too long after i rewatched chinatown because my pandemic movie club was doing la confidential over the weekend and so i decided to watch another one kind of pre-game and did chinatown and then i watched year of the dragon and it was kind of an interesting lead into that because it was almost a forget it, Mickey, it's Chinatown situation yeah. again. Yeah. And I mean, the film is trying to say a whole lot. I don't know that it's very successful, but it is yeah. interesting. Yeah, it, it is. And I mean, I think it's, you know, it's uh, I couldn't decide. I mean, I, I've only watched it this one time. I, I would like to rewatch it again before I Same. formulate yeah. <laughs> a good opinion of it, I think. But I mean, I, I couldn't tell if it was. You know, if it was a racist movie or, or about racist characters. Uh, you know, yeah, yeah, it, it kind of rubbed me the wrong way several it, times. <laughs> it, walked that, it walked that line, you know, where I, I'm not sure. So, I mean, I think there are, there are critics 
for sure that I'd like to read what they say about this movie. Yes. I, I don't know if I'm the person to really diagnose it or analyze it, but mm, I, I'm yeah. definitely drawn to it, uh, you know, just as, you know, New York City in the 80s movie, I think, you know, highly recommended just for the way it looks and the mm -hmm. way it's shot. I mean, it's just gorgeous um, cinematography and great Chinatown stuff. And, and Rourke is, Rourke's, you know, pretty terrific in it. And there's some really iconic shots in it, um, mm -hmm. I think, uh, that are really beautiful, especially at the end on the bridge. There's a really gorgeous shot. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, if I had to rank the movies of his that I've rewatched, this would be somewhere in the middle probably. But... Um, but definitely recommend checking it out. Yeah, I know what you were saying about is it racist or does it pick racist people to follow for the film? It kind of reminded me of Ridley Scott's Black Rain in yeah, that respect, yeah, yeah. where it's walking a really fine line there. And I thought, yeah, these movies probably played better in the 80s than they would today. Yeah, for sure. I remember the all... last time I watched, oh, sorry, no, uh, no, Black ahead. Rain, where I was like, ooh, yeah, it was interesting. <laughs> yeah, it, and, um, you know, I, I watched not that long ago Abel Ferrara's, um, blanking on the name right now, I think it's China Girl, um, and it covers very similar kind of terrain, except it's it's essentially kind of like uh, his version of Romeo and Juliet. Um and I think it's I think it's a better movie than Year of the Dragon, um, mm -hmm. and it's it does a lot of the same stuff with how the city looks and how the city Chinatown is shot. But the story to me is more compelling, and and Abel Ferrara handles it a little bit um, better <laughs> in some ways. But yeah. that would that would make a fascinating double double feature. Yeah. Too. It sounds like it. Well, Walter Hill's Johnny Handsome is a film I think I've written about at least twice. Most recently last summer when I was working on a piece about underrated films from 1989 for Brian Sauer's great blog, Rupert Pupkin Speaks. It was funny. I was asking friends about movies they enjoyed from that year, and Jordan Harper suggested Johnny Handsome. And after I rewatched it, I thought, wait a minute, how many times have I written about this one before? But then again, <laughs> I went ahead and I wrote about it one more time. I think as a disabled woman, I respond to it from that perspective, since it centers on a man who isn't saddled with like a bad back or a bad leg or anything. But in his case... He's a severely disfigured crook who's given plastic surgery, a second chance, but then is out for revenge. It reminded me of Dark Passage, that old Humphrey Bogart movie, even in the way it was shot. So what did you think of this one? I think that's a great comparison, you know, and that that uh, Dark Passage is, is terrific. And the novelist, David Goodis, um, whose book that, that's based on, um, you know, this this feels like David Goodis's world, so I think that's one. He's one of my favorite novelists, and that, you know I think that's one thing that that definitely draws me in. Um, this really seedy world. Uh, Goodis wrote about Philadelphia mostly, um, mm -hmm. aside from Dark Passage, but um, this is New Orleans. Obviously, this is a movie I loved as a kid. Um, I loved Walter Hill from a pretty young age. I mean, you know, those movies just all hit me at the right time. The Warriors and this especially. Yeah. Um, and so I, I really respond to 
the very economical way Walter Hill tells a crime story. Um, very true. Good, <laughs> good phrase. Yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, there, it's very, very much rooted in that kind of 40s noir style of just, you know, atmosphere. And, you know, I feel like if this movie got made now, we'd get like an origin story on Johnny Handsome. And this yeah. movie does that. <laughs> You know, it does that all under the surface for the most part, you know, which is yeah. so great. Walter Hill is so good at just kind of streamlining it. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I, I do think I think this is one of Rourke's best performances. I mean, I think in another hand in somebody else's hands, the beginning of this movie, you know, him playing this this disfigured crook character could have been ugly. could have been really. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah. I mean, yeah or heavy handed or just too yeah. much. He, he does it. He does it in a really stunning way where it's just really measured and, and mm-hmm. um, sad, you know, I mean, it's, he's very this kind sad. Of broken character. So that's definitely, you know, um, the main thing all these years later, and I hadn't watched rewatched this one in a while, all these years later, I really, you know, I remembered loving it as a Walter Hill movie. And I remembered loving the new Orleans stuff, but um, but Rourke is what really stood out in my memory, and I do think it's one of his one of his best best performances. Again, yeah, to me that's the main reason to watch is Mickey Rourke in this movie. Yeah, I, yeah, he always kind of draws the eye, no matter what he's in. I mean, he's the main character in this one, so hello, it isn't hard. But the yeah. performance is one of his top performances. But it was interesting because to lead into these other Rourke films, I rewatched like body heat again. Yeah. I watched that only, one too. Yes. He only has like two scenes, but he, he's the character you almost want to stay with Yeah, and find out more about this guy and his whole world of setting everything on fire because yeah, yeah. he's fire essentially when you see him on screen. Totally. Yeah. He, I just rewatched body heat a couple of nights ago and, um, I hadn't watched that one in a long time either. And, and he's, yeah. and it's such a short, such a short part, but he is so, and then Kevin's gate too. He's only in heaven's gate for maybe 10 or 15 minutes, but it's really just a really compelling presence, especially in those, those early eighties movies, diner too. you know, I mean, just really mm-hmm. um, just can take over. And, and, you know, I think in Johnny handsome, again, you have this kind of Walter Hill kind of tends to work in, in kind of, sketches of character i mean like the, the bad guys and johnny handsome the um yeah <laughs> lance henriksen and ellen barkin those, those aren't like developed characters they're very, no. like comic bookish um but yeah that stands in stark contrast to johnny handsome who is so i mean just and it comes down to rourke because rourke gives this character a whole life through the way yeah. he holds himself and the way he responds and this vulnerability and this tenderness that he has and you know, a role that could have gone another way in another actor's, like, you know. Yeah, um, it's understated and it's tragic. Yeah. In a movie that is a little bit, I was going to say, it is a little like a graphic novel. <laughs> yeah. Which is very much keeping with Hill. Yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. And then, you know, I mean, I thought of, I don't know if you've watched his, I guess it's his most recent movie, the one with Michelle Rodriguez, The, the Assignment. Um, oh, I which, haven't seen that. Which is complicated, but is is based on a graphic novel, and and really, it's been a couple of years since I watched it, but it really 
feels like Johnny Handsome in some ways. It's got some you know, really sharp similarities to to Johnny Handsome, a surgery. And, you know, I mean, it's different, but it's not not as good as Johnny Handsome. But it's, it's worth it's worth watching and could be an interesting double feature with Johnny Handsome. Ah, uh, interesting. Well, the other ones that I watched for Rourke this time, I I watched Pope of Greenwich Village, nice. and what else? Trying to think here. Angel An- Hearts. Angel yes. Hearts. Oh, and yes. nine and a half weeks. So you kind of have to when you're talking yeah, about yeah. Like the notorious nine and a half weeks. I haven't yes. rewatched that one yet. I need to. <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't seen that in a long time. Um, yeah. But I'm gonna I'm planning on rewatching that one. But yeah, Angel Heart's one of my favorites. Angel Heart is. He is so good in it too. Yeah, it's a great performance, and yeah, I that was that was a movie that I absolutely adored as a kid and then you know into into um my you know 20s and still you know i hadn't i hadn't rewatched it in about a decade and rewatched it yesterday and just absolutely loved it again um and alan parker you know directed it who died this year so great mm-hmm. um so yeah that's a i mean the only thing i felt walking out of that movie is this time well walking away from it uh rourke's amazing Lisa Bonet is so good too, and I just wish she'd had more of a more of a role, more of a role, and more of a <laughs> oh, career yeah. too. I don't remember what the I think I, I don't know if there was like if Bill Cosby like threatened her after that, yes. got her blacklisted or what. But it's another one of his crimes if that's what he did because she's she's really just a compelling actress and uh, never really got a chance after this, I guess, to do anything else. Yeah, he shamed her for this and publicly too, which yeah. was horrible. Um, especially because she is so compelling. I thought she was a great actress. I mean, she was good even in like high fidelity, where she right. barely yeah, yeah. has a role. Again, she catches your eye, she's the most interesting person on screen whenever she's on screen. And that happens in Angel Heart. Like as soon as you see her. You want to yeah. know more about that character, for sure. Yeah, and which is, yeah. a, you know, it's not something you see, especially in those 80s Mickey Rourke movies, like, he's usually the most compelling one on screen. Um, yeah. You know, it's not often in some of these movies that you you see somebody else really working on that level alongside him. But, um, I mean, I think, in Rumblefish, you see it, you know, you see it with Dennis Hopper and Matt Dillon, but, um, a lot of these other movies, it's him, you know, it's all him. And, and, um, but when she comes on screen in Angel Heart, she is, she's working on that level, which is, is cool to see somebody really, I guess Mm -hmm. it's just the chemistry between them or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. Well, there, are there any other ones that we didn't talk about that you want to recommend or tell people to seek out? I've watched so many, um, you know, some of them have been kind of crossover. I think last time we talked, I had kind of gone through a Tony Scott yes. phase. And so by chance, you know, I, he's in a couple of Tony Scott movies, um, Domino and, and Man on Fire, which are, um, I didn't, I hated Domino the first time I saw it, but I liked Me it too. a lot on this <laughs> rewatch. Um, and Man on Fire, I really like, and, um, but I mean, these are not movies that you really go to for mm-hmm. Mickey Rourke performances. He kind of entered this phase in his career where he's just had these small roles. And there's so many of them that are great, though. I mean, 
I, I rewatched um, Steve Buscemi's Animal Factory recently, um, mm. which is, I think, on Prime. Mickey Rourke uh, plays a character called Jan the Actress. Um, and he's great in that. He's only in it for, you know, maybe 10 minutes or less of screen time. Um, but but it's, it's, I mean, it's a great movie anyway, based on Edward Bunker novel. Um, and Willem Dafoe and and Edward Furlong are in it. It's but it's uh you know he's his moments are great. He's great in Sean Penn's The Pledge. He's yeah, didn't Buffalo. he cry? Was he the one that yeah? And then made everybody cry in the theater. Yeah, <laughs> yes. it's like a five minute thing. Um, he's great in Buffalo '66. Um, I just rewatched weirdly. Yeah, I kind of went through this Coppola, little bit of a Coppola thing too rewatching some stuff i hadn't seen in a while and um i, I watched the rainmaker for the first time since it came out and i always in, liked that one yeah it's really really good it's really solid and he's really good in it he's got you know pretty significant amount of screen time at probably 15 minutes or 20 minutes um and yeah i i was kind of surprised that that one held up um i mean i'd say it's probably maybe the only really good john grisham thing um, <laughs> but it's it's a it's good memphis movie it's um and rourke's great danny devito's great really good cast what else have i watched um i watched uh prayer for the dying which is on prime okay um where he plays like a irish uh ira guy um and it's it's good it's worth watching but it's um i mean i don't know i i think it's got some really like liam neeson's in it and it's got some mm -hmm. really good early performances from other people um rook's doing an irish accent in it which i think probably could rub some people <laughs> the wrong way gotcha uh, bob hoskins is in it that that one's pretty good um i love bob hoskins so yeah <laughs> So good, yeah. What else? Oh, yeah, he showed up in uh, this movie. I wasn't really expecting him in this movie, but um, I watched this movie on Shutter about a month ago, Fade to Black, that, that just, I guess, has been getting um, kind of released for the first time in a long time, early 80s horror movie. Um, mm. And he's in it. He's just got a small part. I mean, don't watch it expecting a Mickey Rourke role. Yeah. But... <laughs> It's or Mickey like you know he's not he's literally kind of just a very minor character, um, but it was interesting to see him. It must have been pre I don't know what year I can't, can't remember what year it came out, but it must have been pre Body Heat even or, or right around that time. Um, gotcha. And what else? I think I think that's um, that's most in White Sands. I rewatched um, for the first time in a long time, mm -hmm. and I liked it. Um, pretty good i don't think it's you know i don't think by that point in his career he's kind of not as much of presence on screen in some of those uh, yeah. 90s sure. 90s movies like desperate hours the weird thing about desperate hours to me and i felt this way about white sands too is that he he's just not a dominant presence on the screen in the same way and like david morse in desperate hours is much more 
somebody Very much. that's compelling to watch in a way that Rourke isn't in that movie. So it's this weird turn in his career in the 90s. I think he gets it back at some point in some of those cameos in the late 90s. He is that kind of he has that kind of presence again. But these movies in the early 90s where he's like still the star but his heart's not in it or something. It, or, mm-hmm. you know, I agree. It, um, so yeah, that's, I think that's about all of them. Uh, I, w- I watched Harley Davidson and the Marlboro Man too, which is just <laughs> super dumb and fun, but, um, yeah, it's a different, it's a different Rourke. I think it's the beginning of a different Rourke. Different side of Rourke. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> yes. Well, this was a lot of fun and I know we discussed talking about her last time and missed yeah. out. So let's go ahead. Weird Coda has nothing to do with Mickey yeah. Rourke, but we both love Tori Amos. Yeah. So how many times have you seen her? I only saw her twice. Um, Me too. And, you know, I, I definitely, I don't listen to her a ton anymore. Um, yeah. I shouldn't say that. I mean, I listened to the first four records um, a lot. Mm-hmm. And I love those first four records. Those they were huge for me. But I I kind of stopped with her after that. Like that's her career to me. I know she's done other good stuff since then, and I just haven't really paid attention for some reason. Um, but Little Earthquakes, um, uh, Under the Pink, Boys for Pele, and From the Choir Girl Hotel were all like huge for me from ages fourteen to nineteen. And then I think there's a shift for me away from her just a personal shift for whatever reason mm-hmm. but those records remained you know in my consciousness and shaped me so much that i never really strayed from them but i never really went deep on any of the stuff she did after them yeah so. i saw her twice on the scarlet's walk tour okay nice. so i think that was probably the last album that again i really got into And same thing. I just, there was something about it that wasn't as compelling. But those early albums are favorites. Just this morning, I listened to From the Choir Girl Hotel for the first time in ages, really. I mean, I'll hear a few of the songs. They'll creep into mixes and that kind of thing. But yeah, yeah, this was the first time I listened to it straight through. And it was wonderful to to revisit. Yeah, so she, I saw her on, I guess I saw her on the Boys for Pele tour and then the Choir Girl Hotel tour. Oh, wow. Um, and they were both, yeah, they were both great shows. And that, that record from the Choir Girl Hotel came out, I guess I was a freshman in college when that came out. And I just remember really kind of burying myself in that record. I still, Northern Lad is one of my favorite songs of all yes. time. That might uh, be my favorite Tory song, or yeah. it's up there. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's the. I mean, I I think um, you know, Little Earthquakes is tough to top as an album, but Northern Light is probably mm-hmm. my favorite song. Um, that I, I mean, at least you know, if you judge favorites by how much you go back to something, that's the one I go back to the most. Like I could listen to that every day and be happy. Yes, exactly. It's yeah, she's also interesting to talk about her alongside Mickey Rourke. They've kind of had weird, I mean, not similar career trajectories, but I guess interesting, you know, parallels in terms of their early, their early stuff being so provocative and and compelling, and then something getting lost, yeah, or something fading or whatever. Exactly. No, that's true. Have you? 
listen to anybody recently that you would like to give a shout out to? Oh man. Um, I've been listening to tons of stuff. I mean, I'm always kind of trying to, trying to, um, keep my head in what's new. So I don't know what, what's, what have I been listening to? I don't want to answer in the last week. I've been listening to a lot of the new Bruce Springsteen records. So that's, that's kind of a, I mean, Bruce Springsteen doesn't need me to talk about him. Um, trying, to think of, <laughs> trying to think of some other kind of more off the radar stuff that, that I've really loved lately. So, um, I really like this singer named Heather Valley. Um, she's got, okay. she doesn't have a new record out this year, but she had one of my favorite records out last year. Um, and I know that like, uh, Bandcamp has been doing this great thing where they, they give all the proceeds from sales to artists, like, I don't know. It feels like it's been one Friday a month, but maybe it's been less than that, but it's been fairly good amount of time. And I think next Friday, November 6th, they're doing that again. And I mean, if you're looking for more kind of off, off the beaten path kind of stuff, I recommend her record and her EP and this band water liars that I really love that is no more. Um, mm. They, um, they put out their, their kind of lost record that they made a few years ago, but wasn't released. And that's on Bandcamp. It's called Roll On. It's really great. Um, Andrew Bryant, who is in Water Liars, put out a solo record this year called Sentimental Noises that I really like. So there's lots of stuff like that. And then stuff that like Phoebe Bridgers, I really like her new record a lot. And there's, there's just, uh, I don't know. I mean, I feel like I'm forgetting something that I want to talk about, but it's... No, hey, I'm impressed. I want to listen to all these people now. So <laughs> I really appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, no, how about you? Have you listened to anything lately that you? Um, I well, I read an interview with Jeff Tweedy recently where he was breaking down who he was listening to or something that moved him in five year increments of his life. Oh, nice. And his most recent one was Kate LeBon, who's a Welsh singer. Mm. And I had never heard of her. So I went on Spotify and started listening. And she put out an album recently, I want to say either this year or last year, that I was listening to and I really enjoyed. Nice. So, yeah, that was about it as far as recently. But I well, tried I to, to, yeah. I'll have to check out that article. Um, that's, that's a cool way to, to break it down. Yeah, I think it was in Pitchfork because he has this memoir coming out soon. Right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, maybe, and he was... Maybe it yeah. came out already? I think it came oh, out Oh, did already. it? Okay. I think so. Gotcha. Um, that's, yeah, he, I, I like Tweety. I'm not, I'm not like, the hugest uh, Wilco fan in the world, but I do like him a lot. And uh, uh -huh. I knew somebody who worked for him for a long time who was his tour manager. And he, he is, seems genuinely like a great guy, oh, which is nice. Oh, that's good. Nice good to hear. To hear. <laughs> yeah. I know, because you don't always hear that. So that's no, good. no. Yeah. She had yeah. nothing but nice things to say about him, which, uh, and she worked for some other people that she did, did not, not have nice things <laughs> to say about. Fair um, enough. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I'm going to kick myself because I'm sure there's a bunch of other stuff I've been listening to that I'm just blanking on right now but um, that's okay write them down for next time yeah <laughs> i will so halloween's coming up i should probably close with that one are there any scary movies or anything you guys usually watch around halloween um what am i gonna watch with my kids i don't know uh you know i, I do I, I had a kick there where i was watching some horror stuff 
at the beginning of the month. And I think like that article that I, or that column that I write that you mentioned earlier, I did, um, some, some horror picks mm-hmm. for that. But I mean, I, th- I actually, as I've gotten older, I- I've, I-, I do love horror a lot. Um, and I get freaked out easier than I used to though. I got it. I got it. That's fine. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I don't know. I, you know, I, grew up in the city and now I live in, in the country. And Ooh, sometimes gotcha. at night, yes. sometimes at night, I just like, I, if I turn on a horror movie, it really, it really scares me. Like I remember the first time I tried to watch Mandy, even I, I had to stop like the beginning, the home invasion part. Like I had to stop it cause I was so <laughs> scared, scared. Um, <laughs> But I do, you know, I, I like a lot of, I like a lot of classic horror stuff. Um, that's probably the stuff I return to the most. Um, you know, I love Val Luton movies. I love um, those early, um, you know, like Invisible Man, those. Mm-hmm. Um, the classic the, stuff. The, what's the other one he did? Uh, the old Dark House. I love that. Um, well, speaking of Coppola, I mean, I think one of the movies I wrote about in my column was Dracula, which I I absolutely love, um, which I hated as a kid. It was the like the great disappointment of my life when I was 13 years old. Francis <laughs> Ford Coppola's Dracula. I was so excited about it. I read the novel. I don't know why I was so excited about it, but I was like 13 or something. I read the novel. I for Christmas I got this big book that was like the making yeah. of and the script. Oh wow. And, and I saw the movie and I just didn't like it. And um, I, I came around on it, you know, a, a while ago. But watching it this time, like 4K, just gorgeous. Uh, I mean, it's just, it's really, really pretty movie. And, oh, um, I'm going to have to revisit it. It's been so long. Yeah. It's, it's you know, I mean, if you watch it like that, just uh, the way it looks, I mean, you can really feel a love for those 20s and 30s and 40s horror movies. And mm-hmm. um, for that reason alone, again, like Rumblefish, I think it's one of the most beautiful, beautifully shot movies around. Um, yeah. Again, the other things I wrote about in that article were, I mean, I haven't shown my kids Return to Oz yet, but that I think Return to Oz is one of the scariest movies Scariest ever made. movies? Yes. <laughs> that scared me to death when I was a kid. Uh, oh my it goodness. Is truly terrifying movie. Yeah. Um, and I think, I mean, I've been rewatching Twin Peaks The Return, like I said. I think for me. Um, That's freaky. Yeah. <laughs> David Lynch is like more effective. I know he doesn't really technically make horror movies but when i think of horror i i think of moments from his this the most frightened i've ever been in in movies have been during david lynch movies fire walk yeah. with me i think fire walk with me is out of all of his movies the one that is a horror movie absolutely um, that is through and through kind of a horror movie on some level i, I think mulholland drive is got you know i mean the the dumpster scene in mulholland drive is Oh, terrifying yes um the return has like four or five moments that are as scary as anything i've ever seen in any movie um, i agree the frog moth and the the, the Dude, woodsman yes. i mean just so many so i, I mean th- that's the kind of stuff that you know i don't know there are there are slashers i like and there are kind of all all kinds of horror movies i like but lynch is um i think i think mm-hmm. On some level, as a horror director, too. 
Yeah, I'm more drawn to horror that comes from the everyday or yeah. that's more relatable. Yeah, and yeah. I guess that's one thing I love about uh, Lynch because he can make the most boring day just suddenly terrifying. Like yeah. he does in Blue Velvet, of course, at the beginning yeah, yeah. and several times over later on. But yeah, that's right, what he yeah. does. <laughs> well, that's, yeah, that's, that's kind of what he, I mean, that's his whole thing is, yeah. From an early age, what I saw, when I saw, I saw Blue Velvet when I was like way too young. I think I was 12, sixth grade. And mm -hmm. that was the movie that like I looked at the world one way before seeing it. And then I looked at the world another <laughs> way after seeing it. So it totally shifted my perception of the world. And just like, you know, er there's this, there's this horror boiling under the surface of everything. Dark undercurrent. And yeah. That's what, I mean, that's what he, that's his great theme, really. Um, so yeah, I mean, scary scary stuff <laughs> i know i think the scariest thing i remember seeing as a kid was the original twin peaks oh, which yeah. i actually watched like as a kid so when was that 99 i was like nine years old and i would watch the show i think by like season two it had gotten too scary and i needed to stop yeah. But some of that stuff was horrifying. And I remember it was even scarier because back in Minnesota, there was a, it's now a famous case, but the Jacob Wetterling case was oh, yeah. this, yeah, boy who was kidnapped, just vanished. And we now know finally what happened to him all these years later. But as a kid, all of a sudden, you would look at the world differently. Like there is a darkness out there or something yeah. like, look what happened to Laura Palmer. And I think it just made it so much scarier. Yeah. And yeah, totally. Yeah. And that was that the, is that the case that was uh, in the dark, that podcast? Yeah. There was, was a podcast there? on it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah. I mean, th there are moments. That, I mean, I think, you know, some of what, what was in the, in the show was, you know, tuned down from what he did what he was able to do in the movies but it was still just i mean just bob is just so scary and horrifying yeah. images i mean you, you know you're you're a kid i also watched it as a kid and you just don't look at like you don't look at ceiling fans the same way you don't look at exactly hallways the same i mean <laughs> he just he changes your perception of of those normal things like everything becomes kind of terrifying or like you know you walk into a room and you expect to see somebody crouched in the corner or you know i mean it just, yeah there's a shift in the weather basically yeah. when you're watching those i mean he's he's changed electricity i mean he's everything yeah. you know it's, electricity is scary you know yeah. um yeah yeah eating beans or any of that yeah. stuff my gosh <laughs> yeah i know yeah anything and everything Exactly. So what we're saying basically to anyone listening is for Halloween, watch some David Lynch. Yes. yes. <laughs> I mean, it's always a good time to watch David Lynch, I think. Uh, all right. Well, I want to say thank you so much for taking the yeah. time to do this. This was so much fun, William. I really oh, appreciated it. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's always great talking and I hope you continue to uh, do well. And hopefully oh, we'll, thank you. I'll be through all of this soon. Yes, I know. Hopefully, and we'll have to have you on again to do another good movie recommendation. <laughs> oh, anytime. Thanks so much, Jim. 
This is Jen Johans at FilmIntuition.com or FilmIntuition on social media and Letterboxd. And this is Watch with Jen and Friends. 